Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. I am joined in the studio today by Algie Hall. Algie, how are you doing? Yeah, very well, thanks, John. Good. And uh, you've written the cover feature for us this week. Yeah, well, I've, I've kind of compared the cover feature. Yes, Coordinated yeah. so, um, the cover feature. So it's a team effort. It's a good team effort. Well, we like teamwork. I, uh, teamwork yes, yeah, we do like teamwork. Um, so yeah, we, we're talking about profit warnings this week. Um, yeah. We've also got a new new segment on the uh, on the show, which is uh, we're going to be dialing into uh, dialing deal. Uh, so here's Simon Thompson uh, and uh, hearing him, him his thoughts on his uh, his latest column, um, which is a cracker. Yeah, excellent. So uh, so yeah, so I tell you what, let's just go. Let's just get stuck in, shall we? Let's just get sure. stuck in, Algie. Let's get profit stuck in. Profit warnings. Yeah. So, so there is an old adage, profit warnings coming through. Yes, yeah. And, and, um, and basically you're testing that. Well, yeah, testing it and also looking at um, the factors which go behind a profit warning being part of a, of, of a series. So, um, uh, Is it true? To an extent. <laughs> three three like, like, is not like, necessarily like the most, magic number. But like most stock market adages, it is true to an extent. It, to an extent. I mean, the, the thing is... Often, when there's one warning, there's another one lurking in the background. Well, you, and um, you've got some figures on this, haven't you? Yeah, um, EY, uh, who actually one, of the, I think they're the only pe- people who really comprehensively collect profit warn- warning data, and they have done since 1999. These mild man, I used to work there. For yeah, no, no, uh, yeah. They, they were doing it then successfully. Yeah. And I know, still I think you know the person who um, I, I actually do, does uh, the do hard indeed. work at yeah. the coalface. Yeah. Anyway, they they've gone back over a year and looked at um, how many profit warnings during that year had another profit warning from the same company within 12 months. And um, they, they found about 30% were part of a kind of package. And also, um, probably anyone reading the article, you know, the, the thing to be aware of is that obviously some of those profit warnings, which didn't have a warning within 12 months, that's because there would be a warning in the future. In 13 so, months. Yeah, well, exactly. well, no, 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 but it, but it could be within 12 months, but it could be in the future. So it's kind of... You, we, you can't look into the future. You're blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. it's, 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 it's very Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the one-year period we've looked over, you can only look at the um, profit warnings, which are multiple, if they've had a profit warning beforehand. Whereas if they go... <laughs> my mind is still being blown <laughs> They're going to have a profit warning afterwards in the future. We won't see that in well, the data. Okay, now I understand. Yes, what you're are, we, are we there? Yes, I get it. <laughs> okay. Yes, I'm there. I'm catching up. It took me a long time to figure out. I was, at, it I was out at the cricket also. last night. It was a bit of a big night. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so thirty percent. Um, I mean, which which is so. This is a bit of an understated figure, but even so, it shows how significant the potential is that there will be another profit warning lurking around the corner, um, following um, an initial warning. Right. Not universally true, but substantially enough to make to pay attention to. Yes, to pay real close attention to. And um and then also EY've identified um from doing this, you know, this very um lengthy research on the subject, three kind of classic type of um serial warning. And um just to kind of quickly run through them, what we've done is we've tried to illustrate them with um companies which um seem to fit the bill. Um, so each, so I say so the specialist writers on our team have um, selected companies which um, which which fit the bill of the, um, for these different types of warnings. Yeah, because um, illustrated. We we had a bit of a debate about how we were going to approach this. Yes, and yeah. so so we kind of thought that a balance of historic examples with companies that might exhibit those 
traits in the you know in the future or they exhibit them now we might we might be worried about where they're going in the yeah. future here we go that, with the future again <laughs> that could be another warning coming <laughs> so yeah, yeah so we've got a nice balance there i thought let's go through the uh, the different types of uh, of warning so um so the different types the, the first one that ey um uh, points out is co- a company with contract problems so um we've used capita to demonstrate this but i mean God, you could choose so many support services company mighty circo you know, the, the, the it's, list, it's, uh, a, it's a sector. <laughs> it's a, for choice. Indeed, it's a sector that I have often said that you know I would not invest in. Well, yeah, I mean, and I just uh, wouldn't. I just for this very reason. Well, I mean, the contracts are extremely complex. They cover. They go over a long, long period. They have to build in so many assumptions, and then also there's always the pressure on the people who are putting the contracts together to win the work, and so the, the assumptions which have to be made. I think. We, um, we we were talking about this when um, the feature was being written. I mean, there must be a lot of pressure to make those assumptions favourable to winning the work rather than necessarily seeing um, those contracts to a healthy future. Indeed, well, I'm going to put my EY hat on again because I'm just, <laughs> I just kind of think, well, you know, you've got a sales department going out trying to win work, complex work. Mm-hmm. You've got an accounting department that's trying to manage a sales department in that respect and a, and a, and a senior accounting board who are obviously presenting figures to the city. I mean, the, the complexities just in the accounting Yes, oh, I mean, uh, and, the, and the governance of, of contracts. Totally. How, how, just, how do you keep all the incentives aligned to um, it's, it's just serve the business? Mind-bogglingly complex. So, so anyway, yeah, you can see that it's a situation where a lot of problems could um, occur. And then also, if, if a problem does occur, there's a question of is, is there something systemically wrong with the way um, a company's been bidding? What are the problems with the contracts? These contracts are incredibly, um, you know, so many moving parts. They're very complex. And then you know, how much is it going to cost us um, going all the way out into the future? You know, these, these things tend to come out in drips and drabs. Uh, fertile ground for multiple warnings. Yeah, I mean, a bit, I, I guess, you know, some of these very huge outsourcing, they're taking over a big project from someone else generally. So, you know, yes. it, and, and therefore, you know, the thing that strikes me is that so much money has to be invested up front to essentially take yes. a contract on. And actually, there's no real, you know, idea because you can't see into the future yeah. as much as we would like to, as much as I'm trying right now. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see into the future. So, so, the, so the scope, the potential for impairments for actually having, having underbid a contract yeah, it's and huge. investing too much up front are just huge. Yeah. Also, I mean, there used to be a time when these, um, because so much of the revenue was booked into the future that these companies were regarded as um, uh, defensive growth players. Well, and I, people I, used to love them. And um, I remember slowly Capita, but surely. There's a guy called Richard Holway that used to publish this thing called the Boring Awards every year. And there, mm. there were always two winners. One was Sage, one was Capita, because it. It, you know, it very reliably delivered growth. Yes. But, yes. but, but you know, with the benefit of hindsight, we, we kind of look at that growth with a slightly different perspective. Yeah, now. it's not the quality that people at one point thought it was. Mm, I think it's mm. probably fair to say. Okay. So, contracts. We can understand done, why those are issues. Done contracts. So let's move on to the next one. So the next one is um, EY term it is, term it is um, companies which get into a, perpet- a perpetual spiral. And um, essentially, it's when it becomes harder to raise capital. So um, there's a problem, and to get on the back, on, on back on the, to the front foot, a company needs to invest to um, push itself forward. Well, you, so, have, you have to speculate to accumulate. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite, quite cla- and classically, companies which invest when times are tough are the companies which do really well. However, if your equity falls a lot in value in reaction to a warning, 
and for some reason you're relying on raising money through equity as part of your strategy, often it's because your finances are stretched and you need to plug a hole in the balance sheet, then you can't rely on that, that equity and you either have to do a you know, rescue rights issue or something else um, more grindy and may possibly painful happens. But um, yeah. the company we've actually used, this is a company which is using um, equity to fund uh, buy and build, as it's called, an acquisitive growth An acquisition strategy. spree. Exactly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> an acquisition spree is never easy to manage because um, it's almost like taking on a big contract. It's so complex. It's um, integration risk, as they call it. It's, it can often be overlooked, um, you know, just how real it is. And um, this company's NCC, which is in a very hot, hot area of the market, cybersecurity. And, um, you know, people were hugely keen to give it money to get and spend on acquisitions. And then it started to get into um, trouble and it uh, warned once. Although I think they, they phoned us up and told us um, it wasn't a warning. And we... <laughs> When, when they, so, so how did, on, on how did he work morning. out that in the figures then? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, we thought it was. <laughs> Everything That's... suggested it was, from the share price except, to the downgrade. Except, except the PR. Except <laughs> apparently it wasn't. I mean, you know, <laughs> this is um, was interesting. And but then, but then the same thing happened again. I, 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 I'm presuming the next one was a warning, but <laughs> maybe I'm stand to be corrected. Um, anyway, the share the share price um, tanked. And the question of whether they would be able to raise more money to make more acquisitions is, um, well, very questionable. Well, it's, it's still a, a pressing concern. We've had results from the, this, this week which, uh, which were slightly better looking than we've seen from them for a while. But we're still not yes. convinced. No, I, I mean, I, I think um, there is, there's a huge question mark over um, how that business is all going to fit together. because well, um, they're, having, they're having to take a... You know, some drastic action to get this, to whip this yes, business back yeah, into shape. Yeah, and yeah. when drastic action is being taken, you can never be sure of the outcome. No, you, you can't. And it's a very, you know, it's a highly competitive market because there's so much to go for. The fact that um, it was making all these acquisitions and um, being given money to pursue growth is um, ref- is a reflection of how exciting the market is, and that in a reflection that there's money going in funding companies who are its competitors. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see, but I mean, they are try. I mean, all, all these companies, which we've used as examples are companies where it looks like we've been through a full cycle of, um, warnings and now they're, you know, trying to, uh, you know, things look like they may be, be starting to get back on track. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an interesting one. I, I'm particularly interested in companies that grow through acquisition. I, you know, we, we see the wall yeah, over the years, we've seen the warm time and time again. Yes, yeah. Um, we saw with autonomy, for example, that the, the repercussions were even greater. Yeah, of an acquisition I mean, yeah. strategy. Yeah, and I mean, uh, well, let's not forget Quindell. Let's not that talk about. The- <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about let's the third characteristic. So of the serial thir- warner. The third one is probably the most easy to just understand off the bat, which is when the company's on a, the wrong side of a trend. So. Um, and this could be just a trading downturn. Um, and, and essentially, the reason why this can lead to multiple warnings is because it's very hard for a company to actually know where it is in a trend. All it can say is we're trading less and our profit is going to be less. We, we, bet, we better warn. And, um, and it may get worse, but um, there's no way of quantifying it. So, so what, what's the trend we've, we've, uh, we've used as our case study here? So then? we've used Restaurant Group, which was a, which was a real darling oh, of the, of the oh, market. Everyone loved it. Everyone loved it. They loved it. And, it, and, and um, that was an expansion story, really, wasn't it? Yes. Was that, you know, they've, they've got the market behind them. 
big consumer tailwind. They've got a strategy which appears to be working. Yeah. Let's open more restaurants. It was, it was known for choosing great locations where there was footfall coming in due to um, cinema attendance or travel. And also, um, it used to be praised for... Um, opening restaurants next door to each other because it would capture all the footfall. Oh, we've talked about this and, on this podcast before. <laughs> I know. Yeah, we've as soon about as it warned, the story is different. It's cannibalising its market. So, I mean, you, it, I mean, it's just you, you see how fickle the actual, um, uh, you know, observers are when, yeah. when, 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 some, when a company disappoints. Suddenly My, the even, story changes. I'm, I'm, sure I've, I'm sure I've said this anecdote on this podcast, but I'm going to say it again because, mm-hmm. uh, because in Chelmsford, where I, near where I live, there was a Chiquitos and a Frankie's and Benny's yes, open yeah. next to each other in what I thought was a pretty weird sort of semi-out-of-town location. And I remember saying to, to my daughters one day, oh, yeah, they're owned by the same company. And they, go, and they said to me, why would you open rest- a restaurant <laughs> next to your own restaurants <laughs> out, out of the mouths of babes? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And then, yeah, it, I mean, at the time, though, probably um, a lot of people were saying, well, because you get all the footfall. Yeah. And probably, I mean, there may have been a People cinema be... behind that, that out-of-town there location. Wasn't. Oh, there wasn't. It there was were... a very strange location. Well, There was a flyover. <laughs> <laughs> Not so good. <laughs> but yeah, no, no. I, but, but, you know, you get all the footfall, but... but... Two people, you know, one person can't be in two restaurants at the same time. Oh well, yes, yeah. <laughs> the logic is baffling. Anyway, let's 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 get back to the trend. Uh, you so yes, the trend. Um, essentially, well, I mean, you know, there's there's um, a worry about overcapacity, and um, a, and a down, and um, weak con- consumer spending. There's also a trend in the industry towards um, kind of um, I, I, there's a name for it, but it's essentially fast food, but with very natural ingredients. Um, like Leon, um, where, where there's mi- minimal table service. I know, service. What I know what Appar- Apparently that's a big thing. I know what you mean. Um, and then also there are lots of rising costs, and it's all happening together. Um, the company also has certain other characteristics, like it had a lot of um, new openings, which um, a lot of people think probably pepped up the like-for-like like figures because they get included in like-for-like um, like quite early new openings. Yeah, I, do you know, I can, think, I can think of another company that, that, that got hit by a trend, actually, uh, mm. that isn't in this feature, which was uh, Game Group. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, you know, I it's mean, that... It's a very similar story when you think about it. You know, massive expansion, big acquisition as well in the middle of it all. And, and, mm-hmm. and you know, they were lifted by, lifted by a trend, which was everyone buying Nintendo Wii's because they became... Had, suddenly, you know, gaming could become a family thing. And yeah. then everyone had gaming consoles, and well, the trend was over. Although, I mean, the the, the and the, the the trend with the company like game though is, I mean, they, they I mean, it's it's almost structural as well because um, with gaming moving online and um, the need for actual physical, I mean, I you know, I, 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 my kids play games. <laughs> I don't really understand their, them at my all. My kids play games <laughs> on their phones actually. A lot, exactly, a lot. They, they, my kids so. always want my me to download a game onto my phone, and then they always want my phone to play on it. And like the sucker I am, I fall into the trap. But um, they had, uh, we we got them a Wii, and they ha- they hardly ever play on that actually. Mm. So you kind of you kind of think it's a changing market. And I mean, they in retail, uh, there are lots of companies which you can see as being exposed to a kind of existential threat. Um, is it because is it because things like gaming and 
eating out. There is something fundamentally trendy about them. So, you know, something could be on trend one minute well, and off trend the next. Well, I, I guess, you know, it's two different things because it's something like um, uh, restaurant group. It's, it's a capacity issue as much as anything else. It's, um, you know, well, supply it was, and as demand. As it was for game, just simply too many shops. So yes, a, a market yeah. of a finite size. Although it's more, it's more niche and more structural, I'd say, mm. whereas mm. Uh, in, in terms of the eating out industry, it's kind of, um, it goes through cycles. So um, times are good. Every, you know, airlines is a classic. Times are good. Everyone's buying new planes to put people on. Suddenly there are too much, more planes than people and you're stuck into that c- capital commitment. So you have to uh, push your prices down. Then, everyone, so then you, everyone starts making losses. Then a few people go out of business and suddenly there aren't enough planes and you can start put, putting prices back up. So it's um, so just uber, uber cyclical. It's basically. just, yeah, it's big, big, big trends, which, um, you know, and the, the worst ones are the structural ones, which, you know, which are the demise of an industry, I suppose. So that's, that's the kind of trend that is um, profit warning until... <laughs> There's nothing to warn about anymore. Well, there we go. So, so thank you for that. I think you know. It's, I think it's really, really insightful analysis well, from, I, from EY, and, yeah. and I think we put some real good I, yeah, meat the, around the around company. That the, having having a team of specialist um, writers is kind of really means you can do a feature like this. Um, and I mean, I, yeah, I, I kind of felt like getting all the contributions in. It's um, it really draws on the strength of and depth of, no, of knowledge that we have in having um, a, a really good large team. Indeed, and as I said, we've we've looked at some companies that are perhaps in one of these profit warning cycles yes, yeah. uh, to see what we think could happen next. We won't give them away now. You can no. go away and read the magazine for those. Um, but yeah, no, th- thank you very much, Algie. I think it's a, mm. a, a, a really, really fascinating feature. Thank you. Okay, as I said earlier, we uh, we've had a, a new segment on the show. So so after that uh, fantastic insight from Algie, we're now going to have some fan- fantastic insight from Simon Thompson. Uh, Algie suggested the name Deal or No Deal to reflect your, uh, your, your, your off-site arrangement, Simon, but uh, I'm not sure we got the copyright on that. How are you? <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very well, John. Thank you. Excellent, excellent. So, uh, what, what's been going on this week, Simon? We're, we're, I mean, obviously we have a column in the magazine, but I know you obviously produce uh, a lot more than that. What, uh, what, what's the big news on the Simon Thompson front this week? Well, I've covered 10 companies this week, four of which are in the columns another six on the website and um, there's a few that's in the column that really stands out the, the first is a property fund manager with um, interests in Eastern European property that it owns and runs but also with some big mandates in the UK and this, this is week, first first property yeah it, it is um, I included the shares in my bargain share portfolio in 2011 it's the princely sum of 18 and a half pence it paid almost and a half pence worth of dividend since, and the stock price now is about 55. However, after what they announced this week, um, I've upgraded my target price massively. They have won a mandate with eight institutional investors to invest in office blocks and business parks across England. Um, it's got a seven-year term, this mandate. They've raised 182 million quid. They can gear up the fund to 260. Their third-party assets under management currently are 323 million quid. So this is transformational. This is huge. And what's really of interest um, is that instead of actually taking an annual management fee, they're going to take a share of the profits. And they've run through the um, the sums in this with a house broker who's um, a chap called Chris Thomas at Arsenal Partners, who I really, really um, respect. And um, at 
a minimum, they're going to make 1.1 million contribution to the pre-tax line. Well, last year, First Property made 8.6 million pounds worth of pre-tax profits. So this is like 12%. And that only assumes that this this new property fund makes a 7.5% return on equity. If it makes between 75 and 15%, i.e. capital gains could actually enhance it, First Property get 25% of the profits. Extraordinary. Um, that's, I mean, that's, um, they're, they're extraordinary numbers. They're, they're extraordinary numbers, but they're backing themselves. They've basically said to these investors, look, we'll forfeit the management fee. We are so confident we can actually find you decent properties um, at the right price with capital gains um, upside that we are willing to actually take a share of the profits. They've invested a small sum of money themselves in this. Um, but, I mean, this could be major. So, so, um, so, so Simon, they're confident... But why should we believe them? Um, the chap behind it is a chap called Ben Habib. And as I said, I've followed this company for the last six and a half years. Well, actually, a bit longer than that before I put the readers in. But um, he was smart enough back in 2006 to call the top of the UK commercial property market, got his investors out of that, then looked Eastern Europe, made a bundle of money from that, then got back into the UK just at the right time, and has been winning Monday after Monday. This guy's a shrewd cookie. Um, the, the other thing which is of interest is what's happening still in uh, euro rate at the moment. When, when this company produced its results, which uh, the period end was the end of March, it was using an average exchange rate of £1 to €1.18.9. Um, current rate is just €1.13. The forecast that um, Chris Thomas at Arts and Partners has uh, produced embeds an exchange rate of €1.18.9 for the earnings this company makes in its overseas properties. Um, if, if the current exchange rate holds, that will add to £500,000, £600,000, £700,000 to profits. This, this is a company that's going to have upgrades. And the other thing is, Chris hasn't actually upgraded his forecast yet. So you're actually buying the stock at less than 10 times future earnings, uh, dividend yield around about 3%, a small premium to book value, and we're guaranteed earnings upgrades. It's, it's, it's basically a win-win situation here, as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, yeah, I've upgraded my target price massively on this one. I mean, it would imply, I mean, there are some concerns um, around Brexit, but this sounds like a, certainly a currency uh, Brexit winner so far. But concerns more generally around the commercial property market in the UK. Obviously, you know, you suggested this guy is a shrewdy who's, who's seen, you know, seen the tops before. We're not there yet, then. Um, he, uh, sorry, this mandate, these eight institutional investors, that this isn't the first one. Recently, they had some of the mandates, um, Oxbridge Colleges, January this year, um, a £15 million was established by them. Um, there's a, another big mandate, they've got £125 million that they won last year, which has subsequently increased £170 million. That's all UK commercial property. It's not overseas property, these mandates. Um, the, the only property that they own is actually overseas in these Eastern European countries. Um, so they're, they're finding UK investors who are very, very happy to actually back UK commercial property, given the outlook for interest rates and um, um, the UK economy. Um, and they're, they're, they're doing it big time here. Okay. Sounds good. Right. You've used up half your time, Simon. What's next? Okay. okay. <laughs> next one is... We can give you some more if, we, if we're feeling generous. Okay. The, the, the next one is another fund manager keeping on the theme. It's, um, it's Might and Grip. I put the readers into the stock. 
couple of years ago, £23. It's about 40 pence now. It pays a nice dividend of about a penny, which is set to increase by 10% this year. Um, they have just reported, and all of this is organic, by the way, that their assets under management increased from 2.9 billion quid at the start of the year to 3.35. That's 15% of which more than half of well more than half of that was market movements, but there's two hundred million quid of positive inflows into their funds. So they're actually attracting new business. So so they so they've called the market well, uh, but they're also they're also attracting new inflows. What what where are the inflows going? What 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 is it that, that investors so like about got, their, their funds? Uh, they, they've got a cracking European opportunities funds, uh, they've got a new global infrastructure income funds, uh, they've got a UK value opportunities funds, they've got a small cap micro cap fund that uses some of the um, investment strategies that I actually use to um, um, find stocks. Um, and actually, if you go through each of these individual funds, which I've done so, 12 out of the 15 are actually in the first or second quartile for their investment manager's performance um, over the tenure of that investment manager. Um, the, the other thing worth noting here is, apart from the great cracking fund performance, um, this company's building up cash quite rapidly. I, I reckon cash in the balance sheet at the moment is roughly 30% of the market value. Um, so after some upgrades this week, the, the shares net of cash in the balance sheet are actually only trading on roughly 12 times forecast, dropping to 10 times forecast next year. With, I hasten to add, potential for more upgrades, because I, I, I think the... Um, the Analyst at Peel Hunt, uh, Stuart Duncan's actually been quite conservative with his estimates at the moment, even though he's upgraded. Um, so I, I think this is an earnings upgrade cycle story, and I reckon there's roughly 20% to 25% upside in the share price to my target price of 50 pence. We do like a nice earnings upgrade cycle, don't we, Algie? Mm-hmm. I mean, this, this is a group that that um, that, that uh, a fund manager that we particularly like, and I know you particularly like, Algie, is, is closely involved in, uh, Gervais Williams. Yes, I mean, they, um, they, they do seem to have an ability to attract um, real talent to the group, don't they? Is there anything particular they do to incentivise the fund managers? Um, they, they also lose fund managers, sadly, as well, because mm-hmm. they're, they're so good. I mean, uh, part of the reason the stock price is only, you know, hitting a high now uh, was that they did have... Um, a dodgy period last year when they actually lost one of their fund, two of their fund managers uh, to Paula Capsule. But, but, but equally, they, they, as you say, they do attract really good fund managers. Um, and that, that's, that's highlighted the, the fact that 12 out of the 15 funds are first or second quartile performances. Um, and that's not just this year. That, that's, that's over a period of time. So, um, no, it's, it's one I really like. And actually, another I really like is a small financial services group called STM. I wrote this up um, earlier this year after the budget when the Chancellor of the Exchequer decided um, to basically rein back the tax um, incentives for people with their overseas pension schemes. Um, And the stock price fell quite heavily after that because they've got a big business in Malta and Gibraltar, which basically handles these types of administration of these pensions. Uh, but my view at the time was that their, their international sits business would actually take up the, um, the shortfall. And that's exactly what's happened. They, they had a trading statement earlier this week, which pointed out that overseas applications for these um, international uh, pension schemes are actually running three times higher than the UK applications. 
Um, and the other thing that's worth noting in this this company um, is that they were sensible to take some costs out of the business, um, which weren't factored into the forecast when I wrote it up earlier this year. And so this week, the broker, uh, Jeremy Grimer at Suncap, has actually upgraded this year's forecast by 10% EPS, uh, next year's forecast by 17%. And I reckon there's more upside potential to those forecasts simply because this company has got cash on the balance sheet, um, roughly equating to 40% of the market value, and it's going to act as a consolidator in this overseas pension uh, side um, to actually buy up smaller operators that are uneconomic and just buy back their their back books um, and just run them off. Is, it, is this a big market, Simon? Um, it's, 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 they've got about 10,000, um, which is they're one of the biggest operators in it. Um, it's a big market uh, for people that work in the US and um, out in the Middle East and Australia. They've got a new product that's been launched there. Um, but what's the government trying to do, the UK government, that is, is to stop people that had a UK pension then going overseas, working for five years, at least overseas, then saying, hey, I'd like my pension, and then put into one of these overseas um, the HMRC-registered um, schemes um, and then have the benefits of it. So the Chancellor basically said, look, if, you, if you're going to have one of these schemes, then you've got to be an EU resident and also um, working in the EU as well to actually benefit from the upside of, of these, um, you know, it's, it's very attractive tax legislation for it. Um, but the point is that this company is a decent player in it, so cash the balance sheet can go around picking off the smaller players that have got, you know, they've got books of these schemes that they can't grow now uh, because of this new legislation. Um, and low-yielding cash can be turned into... Some very profitable income streams. So, um, so, so, what sort of upside are we looking at then on the shares, in, in your opinion? Oh, oh significant. Um, I wrote it up in the article this week in the mid 40s um, to high 40 pence range. Um, I reckon 70 pence. Yeah, I was going to say, um, if, you, if you wrote the high 40s midweek, it's 52p in the magazine. So, uh, yeah, this one's taken off by the looks of things. Um, I, I think it will go back to the high, which was 70 pence. Um, uh, a year and a half ago, uh, that, that's that's my target price, and it's not unrealistic. It's actually above FinCaps. He's got a target price of sixty, but um, let, let's let's see if um, if they do the deals and the consolidation. Um, I think they will. Actually, another company is in the column this week, which is actually very interesting, which I gave to Ian Smith for his uh, feature for companies with. Um, global earnings and very little exposure reference to Brexit is Bango, which is a, a technology company with a payment platform which allows mobile telephone users to actually use their device to pay for purchases made through app stores. And the reason I actually um, was really attracted to this, this was last um, autumn when I put the readers in at 93 pence and then reiterated the device in January 86. It's now 2 pence 40 is now a £160 million market company. But the reason I'm really, really positive on it is that they've done a deal with Amazon um, in effect in Japan, which allows a direct carry billing uh, facility with the two largest mobile operators in the country for people that want to shop on Amazon to actually pay for the goods using the mobile devices. And 
on my spreadsheets when I um, looked at this company and did my research and due diligence 12 months ago and then decided to put readers in last October, um, I thought if everything goes to plan, did this company, which is loss making at the moment, but should hit cash profit break even later this year, could actually make £10 million worth of net profit in 2020 um, mm. based on um, processing roughly £1.6 billion worth of transactions a year. Well, bearing that in mind, it just had a trading statement this week which said that the exit run rate of transactions processed at the end of last year was just under £200 million. By the end of June this year, it's £300 million. It's going out to one heck of a lick. And this is before the Amazon deal in Japan went live. Well, if that Amazon deal generates a type of um, transaction as I think it could, then my original target price of 200 pence is dead in the water. I think 300 pence is more realistic because 10 million pounds worth of net profits in 2020 easily could become 15 million pounds. And and that's just that's just one market. For, for, in terms of the Amazon deal, so you know, I mean, you know, presumably Amazon sells in uh, a number of countries around the world. I mean, if this if the deal works out for both both parties, then you could you potentially see it expanding. No, absolutely, and that, that that's what we've actually seen with some of the agreements they've got in place with big organisations like Google, and um, that they've they've seen um, these companies actually migrate across to their payment platform. I mean, of course, you've got to invest in the technology itself to start with. And when I interviewed the chief executive and doing my due diligence on it, um, he said that they'd basically invested around about £30 million in this payment platform. Um, And it's actually now been tested to levels that could actually process £5 billion worth of transactions a year. That's that's £100 million a week. A lot of headroom. Yeah, massive headroom. So, I mean, I was basing my forecast on 1.6 billion pounds of transactions in 2020. Um, it's doing 300 million pounds now. It's just grown them at over 50 percent in the last six months. I mean, and also the other thing is, it's got cash in the bank. Um, having made the investment in the infrastructure and the um, the fixed overheads, then this is a heavily, highly operationally geared company um, that doesn't need much more investment um, but a high percentage of these revenues that it gets from processing these transactions will drop straight down to the bottom line so it will go from a what I think will be a modest cash loss this year but you know for the whole of 2017 but that could ramp up massively in the years to come which is why people are getting excited and that, that's why the share price, which was um, about 1.90 when I wrote it up on Monday and published on Monday 12 o'clock, um, is roughly £2.40 at the moment because people are cottoning on to this. But as I said, £3 to value the equity at roughly £200 million um, is not an unrealistic valuation in my view. Indeed. I, mean, I, I, I just want to touch on something. I mean, you mentioned, Simon, that you tipped this a while back and then you tipped it again at a slightly lower price. And that's quite interesting, um, just more generally, uh, around around your your recommendations and, and, and how, how readers play them. You know, we, we often hear that, such is your popularity, Simon, such is the cult of Thompson, that, that people often complain they can't get in at the price you recommend. But, but that's not all... You know, what, what I'm saying is people should not necessarily rush in because... 
because there may be opportunities to buy in later. We, you know, this is not necessarily a jumping on the bandwagon now without doing the research type thing. You know, there 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 are opportunities for long term gain. You are looking at these companies with a long term view. No, absolutely. I mean, a good example of that was um, a concrete levelling company called Samara Enterprises that I put the readers into a few years ago. Um, I decided to bank. Um, I don't know, it's about 130% gain earlier this year. But um, for a time, the share price did nothing. Um, so it was, it was flatlining or it got, went up and it came back. Um, so it gave people a lot of time to actually do the due diligence, work out whether or not it was for them, whether or not they liked the risk-reward ratio. Um, but ultimately, the rationale in which the investment case was made um, hadn't changed, even though the share price hadn't moved initially. Um, and it's only when more people actually, investors, market participants, decided, yes, that the stock is for them, that um, that the re-rating started. And operationally, it, it did incredibly well too. Um, but th- there's lots of stocks like that, John. It's, it's not an isolated example. There's, there's lots that, yes, they go up. Some of the hot money goes into the shares I um, advise buying, um, in the first few days after a recommendation is made. Um, but equally, undoubtedly, in most cases, there's an opportunity to get back in at a lower price or closer to the um, recommended buying price. So I'd, I'd never advise someone to read an article, not do any research, and just buy buy one of my recommendations. So I, I always say do your own research. You've got to be comfortable with it. You've got to be happy with the risk-reward ratio. Um, Which is a very personal thing, a very personal thing. I, I, absolutely, you know, a stock that I may be very positive on may, may not be what you want for your portfolio. Um, I've written up the last eight weeks um, since I got back from holiday at the end of May, roughly seventy-five company-specific articles. Um, some of those will have repeat recommendations, I think, in total of 60 different companies in that eight-week period. Um, and, and some of those share prices will have come back. Um, Briefly, lots of them, given the market bo- backdrop, have, have raced, raced ahead quite quite a lot. Um, and I've got to react to news, for example, this Mango update this week, or the first property update, um, does alter your view on what is a fair valuation or target price for a stock and you can only react to what's in the market at the moment um, but equally in between those articles investors have got quite a bit of time to actually go back read the archive do their own research and decide whether or not those shares are actually worth buying I, mean, I, I say to anyone actually reading my articles if, if you're attracted by it but you don't like the share price because it's much higher than the recommended price um I initially bought at, put it on a watch list, use the software, um, be it on the ISIS website or your own um, independent software that you may have on your computer, put it on a watch list and price that you'd actually be happy paying for it and just wait for that price to, to come back. Sometimes it never does, but in lots of cases it does, John. Indeed. Thank you, Simon. That's, that's fantastic. And, uh, and keep up the good work. Uh, that's a lot of companies covered uh, since you've been back from holidays and uh, lots more to come over the rest of the year. Thank you, Simon. Speak soon. Enjoy well, the beach. Thanks. Cheers. See you Cheers. later. Thanks. Bye. Okay, so that was, uh, that was fantastic. As I said, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be giving Simon a call, calling deal 
uh, every week to, to, to get his views on uh, on uh, the uh, goings on in the small cap market and where he thinks the value opportunities are. Um, but yeah, so it's uh, uh, been a, a reasonably busy week on a magazine. Obviously, um, there's lots more in the magazine. You've written a stock screen for us, Algie. Yeah, as yes, you do so every field. week. Um, Sector focus uh, on the pub sector, a place, uh, a sector I know only too well. <laughs> lots and lots in the news section. We've actually had a, a big profit warning this week from a company called SafeStyle, which is a double glazing company. And again, you, you, so I th- I'll leave it to you, listeners, to, to work out what type of a warning that is. But, but my view would be that... we you know, look at the housing market and see what's going on there. Is there a people, trend? Is there a trend? <laughs> is it a trend? It looks like a trend-based warning. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, we shall see. Time will tell. Um, lots in the personal finance fun section, which they will talk about next week. Uh, results are thin on the ground, but we'll crank up again uh, as we go into the next couple of weeks. It's uh, how we like to spend our summers at the Investors Chronicle. Uh, and, of course, all the usual comments. And as I said, lots more news. And, uh, yeah. Great. So thank you for listening. Thank you, Algie. And thank you in deal, Simon. Profit warnings, how to protect yourself from profit warnings uh, and how to tell when it's time to get out. £4.90 in all good news agents or get online and uh, subscribe. Thank you very much. And we'll be back again next week.